So that kicks off in just a few weeks. Like I said, sign-ups going on out there. We're in the midst of a series called This is Hydrant. We take time each year to talk about who we are as a church and, and why it matters and what makes us a little bit different. Now, last week we started talking about connection and we, we talked about how in this world today that everything kind of disconnects us. We've become disconnected from God as we have begun in philosophy and literature and just common understanding to see ourselves as the determination of whether something is true or not. For example, in the first 1,500 years after Christianity, nobody wondered if there was a God. That was the assumed beginning point of truth. Now all of us at some point have asked that question, is there a God? And we have chosen to believe that God is or is not based on our understanding, based on our ability to figure out enough information that to us seems reasonable there is a God. And it begins then with us. And so that's created this disconnect. When we became disconnected with God, we lose sense of who we are. We forget who we are. And we have to distract ourselves, and we have to self-medicate, and we have to get busy, and we even then settle for false connections with other people. I explained social media, virtual contact is kind of our replacement for real face-to-face conversation. Even my son was telling me last week after the message, he goes, yeah, Dad, like real conversations are hard. And uh, I mean, we, we prefer an email or a quick Facebook message or take, text message because we're not sure what we might say if we actually talk to someone. We're not sure how we might respond, how we might, how we might reveal something that we didn't intend to reveal or say something that maybe we didn't want to. And real face-to-face connection is messy, but it's rich. Connection gives life meaning and purpose. In fact, it is what prevents the most destructive parts of who we are. And I don't want to re-preach that message, but because of this cultural disconnect, disconnect from, from God and from each other, Hydrant is a place of connection. It's, it's who we are. From the moment you drive by and see the Mickey Mouse hands to the time when someone shows you where to park and greets you in the parking lot or remembers your name after you've been here just once or twice, someone is going to connect. And it's going to begin to open up the possibility for connection with God. It's how everything is designed in the service. What is, what is it that we can do to help each other connect with God in genuine and real ways? Because that's what really changes our lives. But Connection is not enough. I'm going to be honest with you up front. Um, I preached in the first service the message that I had prepared to preach, and I didn't like it. So we're going to do something a little different this time around. And I just want to talk to you about why I care about this and, and why this is who we are and why it matters. And I promise we'll get out of here in a reasonable time. Is that okay? Yeah, be okay. It doesn't matter if it's okay or not. I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, <laughs> But because I'm going to do that, let's pray. <laughs> Father, help us. Um, help all of us. Help me. And would we see what really matters, hear what really matters. Anything that doesn't, would it, would it drift from our minds? And would you use your word to speak to us, connect with us in a real way, and fill us and so it overflows? In, in Jesus' name, amen. So connecting is not enough. Connecting... We can connect with God once in a while and feel kind of 
plugged in and good, and then we go on with life. And it doesn't take maybe even Sunday afternoon, certainly by Monday afternoon, we feel empty again. We feel dry. We feel worn out, overcome, busy, distracted, and we, we wonder where that sense of feeling connected to him really went. And then we walk out of this place, and many of us, we lose that connection with other people. We will go through our entire week and never hold a real conversation. We'll go through the entire week and maybe not touch another human being until we come back again. And this connection is never really enough. If we just connect once in a while, we continue to be drained in this, this constant cycle of empty and full, empty and full, empty and full, empty and full, connecting, disconnected, connecting, lonely, connecting. Oh. And some of us, some of us, we, we've made the commitment to be here weekly, and so we feel a little better about it. Others, maybe it's once a month, and we're like, man, I, I miss it when I'm not there, or or whatever it is. And we realize pretty quickly that just connecting isn't enough. That that's not really what God wanted for us. Now, throughout the last several hundred years, and really probably in the last hundred years, we have, we have spoken about Christianity as if it was this personal decision to connect with God. Me and Jesus. We in the South like to use language of get saved. Have you, have you been saved? The very first partner class we ever had at Hydrant, I will never forget this moment. A man looked at me, he was, he was new to the church, new to faith in God, and we talked about connection, and so sometimes the language we use that we mean the same thing isn't what you hear in other churches, and, and he's looking at me and he says, listen, up north, my family, they talk about being a part of the church and being baptized, and they're asking me if I've been baptized. And then my wife's family is from the south, and they're asking me if I got saved yet. And what is that? And he's like, what does God saved mean? What does this even mean? And, and we don't, we've talked about faith like it was a decision to get saved. And it happened at one point, and that was it. And we don't even know what it means. Like, we kind of use these prayers, like, admit that you're a sinner, believe that he forgives you, confess those sins. And, and you'll be saved and, and go to heaven one day, as if heaven was the goal of this whole Christianity thing. Escape this world, escape this life, go up there somewhere at some point. And this is the whole thing. It's a connection. As long as I've done that, I'm good. And I'll go to church if it feels good to me. I'll be a part of church if like, it entertains me enough. I mean, because I've said the prayer, me and Jesus, we're good. I don't need church, right? I, don't, I mean, I like Jesus. I just don't know about all that religion stuff. You know, we, we hear these things all the time. And, and what, I, what I realized was this whole thing is not about just a connection. It's not about got saved or got baptized or anything that got happened at some point that I can point back to. It's more about this ongoing relationship, this revolution in the world that Jesus was trying to create. This alternative way of being, this kingdom of God is what he kept calling it. This, this realm, this way of being in the world that reflected a better way, that reflected love, that reflected transformation, that reflected truth and possibility and hope and peace and joy. 
And, and this is what he's inviting us to. He's inviting to this rejection of sin, this rejection of violence, this rejection of lust, this rejection of self-fulfillment, this rejection of me just grabbing at whatever I can in life and hoping to make it feel good until it's over. And, and inviting us into something more, this whole other way of being in the world. That, that takes more than just an occasional connection to God. The connection is where it begins. The connection is where I find forgiveness for the ways I've rebelled against what God created this world to be. It's where I find healing for the wounds and the brokenness of my past, the things that others have done to me. It's where I find new beginning. In fact, he says that when we come to him, it's like you get a whole new life. One passage, he tells a, a guy in the middle of the night who's asking him all these questions. He says, listen, when, when you begin to trust in Jesus, when you begin to trust in me, Jesus says, it's going to change your life so much it's as if you've been born again. It's like, it's like you're whole, you just started all over. Another place, he says, the old is gone. The life of fear and insecurity and, and lust and of, of, of self-protection, of, of, of trying to control others, of trying to fix things on your own, trying to manage life and get by, and he says, that's gone. And you find a, a life in me that is love and joy and peace. It's faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's a whole different way of being in the world. But as soon as we connect, it doesn't just like flip this switch and now we can do all that. It's not like suddenly we know how to love our spouse better. It's not like suddenly we know how to parent that teenager or preteen or, you know, 10-year-old girl who thinks she's 16. We don't suddenly have all that figured out. We don't suddenly know how to lead well and connect with neighbors well and, and to serve well. We don't know how to love. And so we need something more. We need more than just being saved from ourselves or our sins or our past or healed. We need a way to live this out. And, and what Jesus tells us is that he will fill us with living water, with his spirit, with his very self. And that will give us the strength and power and, and open up that possibility in us. That we need not just to connect, but to be filled. There's a story in John chapter 4, and you can feel free to turn there if you'd like. But in John chapter 4, there's this, this story. And the, the background is you have Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans were once a part of the, the Israelites. They married outside of Israel and kind of were considered these half-breed enemies it would be kind of the way that Christians and Muslims view each other too often. Is the way they viewed each other. They, there was not any love lost. I mean, it was, it was dislike. In fact, one time the disciples asked Jesus, Hey, would you like us to call down fire from heaven and destroy Samaria? That's the kind of relationship they had. And Jesus said, No, instead let's walk right through the middle of the place. And as they're walking through the middle of the place, he stops at a well and sends his disciples off to go find some lunch the middle of the day, hottest part of the day. Nobody comes to the well at this time. 
in the morning, all of the women of town would have come to the well, and they would have caught up on the gossip of the town and, and found out how each other's kids are doing and shared stories, got the water they needed for the day, and gone back home. But he's there in the middle of the day. And a woman starts to get close to the well. She's coming to the well, carrying her jars for water. She shouldn't have been coming to the well then. The only reason she was coming to the well then is to avoid the morning crowd. She was someone who was outcast. Someone who had been used and abused by men all of her life. Taken advantage of, neglected, unimportant, someone who, who couldn't even see her own value and was coming to the well to get water in the middle of the day in the hopes that she wouldn't see anyone, wouldn't have to talk to anyone, wouldn't feel the sideways glances of the good folk of town. <laughs> Wouldn't feel that burning gaze of judgment, of rejection. And as she gets close, she sees that there's someone sitting by the well. Surprised she didn't just turn around and go back. She keeps going. And as she gets closer, she realizes, like, not only is someone sitting by the well, it's a guy, it's a Jewish guy, and it's a rabbi. So her first thought is, good, he won't speak to me. Because Jewish men don't speak to Samaritan women, and Jewish rabbis don't typically speak to women at all, so I should be okay. Before she even gets there, Jesus starts asking for water. Could you get me some water? And she's like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be talking to me, man. He's like, well, you know, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water. She goes, what are you talking about? You don't have a bucket. You don't have a rope. You have no way of getting any water. Who do you think you are? Are you better than Jacob who gave us this well? And then in verses um, 13 and 14 of that chapter, we hear Jesus reply. He says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Anyone who connects here, you'll get thirsty again. You'll drink and you'll get thirsty. You just have to keep coming back. To refill. But he says, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Another time, just a few chapters later in John, in John chapter 7, he proclaims at this big festival, celebrating the way that God brings water from the rock, and he says, anyone who's thirsty, come to me. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me. He says, anyone who is worn out, anyone who is empty, anyone who who has been wandering in the desert, anyone who is broken and beaten up, anyone who is rejected, any outsider, any marginalized, any forgotten, you come to me and I will give you water. I am the source of real life, of living water that never runs dry, that never goes stale, that is never going to leave you thirsty again. I can give you real life. I can fill you. I can give you life. 
And as I read these passages years ago, we were just beginning this thing called Hydrant Church. I imagined a place where that could happen. Where the people who go to the well in the middle of the day, the people who have been asked to leave church, felt rejected, judged, written off, forgotten. Those who felt like church was the last place they could find life could begin to find life again. Not because of who we are, how great we are, or how amazing the band is, or any of that kind of stuff, but because of who Jesus is. That there could be something just raw and real and authentic happening. And we could connect to him and that he would fill us. He would fill us with grace and truth. That's the language we use. And we were really wrestled. I wrestled with these words. Like, do we choose hope? Do we choose love? Do we, do we choose water? I mean, what is it that he, we want him to fill us with? And we, we settled on grace and truth as the primary terms. Because grace and truth is what happens when Jesus fills us with himself. He gives us grace. Grace is what God gives you when you deserve nothing. In our, in our kind of tribe of Christianity, we believe in this thing called provenient grace. That's a good theological term that you don't have to remember. Here's what it means. God has been chasing you down from the moment you were born. Because he loves you. Because he's for you and not against you. Because he has never abandoned or forsaken you. Because he has never looked down on you. Because all he has ever had for you is love and hope the way a father has love and hope for their child. Because all he has wanted to do is wrap you up the way a mother wraps up their child. He has been chasing you from the moment you were born with hope and possibility. And I get For many of us, that's not how we imagine God. We imagine God far off waiting to judge or discipline or fix us. Instead of seeing us right where we are, not as like the version of you you think you should be or the version of you you think you ought to be. He doesn't love that version. That version's not real. He loves you as you are, who you are, where you are. And those of us who are here, those of us who claim the name Hydrant Church, like we have felt that. We have experienced that. We've walked through being kicked out of church more than once. We have walked through the pain of loss of being rejected and excluded. We have been the marginalized, and we have felt that grace and love grab a hold of our lives and fill us with so much hope and transformative work that all we can do is offer it to other people. So this is where it happens. When we get together, we watch it happen. Something usually happens around 90 days. Those of you who are new... You just can know this. Around 90 days, if people stick for 90 days, something happens. They either step in or they step out. They step into that flow of grace, that flow of truth, that flow of possibility, or it's too much. They're not ready. And there's no judgment for those who aren't ready. We just see it happen. And we, so we create this place. This safe. And the reason it's safe is because of grace. Because of grace. 
Because grace allows you to be who you are, where you are on your journey with all of your doubts, all of your questions, all of your fears, all of your insecurities, all of the things you're not sure about, and just let you begin to walk this journey of trying to know him and see what it is that is true and real and possible. But something happens with grace because the other side of grace is always truth. We're not talking about cheap grace. There was a man, a German named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in the, in the 1940s. He actually worked as a part of a plan to assassinate Hitler, and he got caught. And because he got caught, he was put into one of the, the concentration camps where he ended up dying. But he writes about grace, and he writes about community from a German prison. And he says, too often we want cheap grace. It's not real. It's not free. It's cheap. It's this grace that says, God accepts you where you are and he doesn't ever ask anything of you. God loves you and he, and he doesn't invite you to more. God never asks anything, never expects anything to change in you. He just loves you where you are and lets you wallow in that mess. Does that sound like love to anyone? Like, what kind of parent would I be if I saw my child flailing and failing in school and I did nothing to help? Or flailing and failing in life and did nothing to help? That's not love. That's not grace. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, okay, son, here is where we are. Daughter, this is where we are. And I am with you. I am in the mess with you. I see it. We're not hiding from it. But we're not going to stay here because this isn't good for you or anybody around you. And it begins in truth. One of the core values here at Hydrant is authenticity. And that's like this buzzword among people my age and younger. Like we always want everything to be authentic. You know, we want authentic tacos and authentic Italian and authentic people. But we don't even know why. And we wouldn't know authentic tacos if we ate them. Most of us. Let's just be real. Authenticity means... Authenticity means we can just be where we're at. Own it. Because we believe that it opens the door to change. See, as long as I'm pretending, as long as I think Taco Bell is tacos... Like, nothing is going to bring me to any kind of new place. As long as I'm okay with fake and facades and games and junk, then I'm never going to see my life become what it was really meant to be. I'm never going to become who I was really meant to become. And neither will you. So this, for us, is a place that fills with grace and truth that receives and offers that grace and truth as a beginning point for transformation. The thing that sucks about truth is it always hurts before it helps. It always hurts before it helps. We got to own our mess. The Bible calls it confession. Like, until we're able to confess, until we're able to own our mess, we can't turn away from it. We're just going to keep playing in it. As long as we think that this mud is good for us, we're lying to ourselves, and we know we are, but it's easier. Then we're going to keep playing in the mud. 
As long as we let ourselves believe things that aren't true, we all do it. We're never going to become who we're meant to become. We're never going to have the marriage we're meant to have. We're never going to be the parent we were meant to be. We're never going to be the leader we were meant to be. We're never going to have the influence or impact around us that we were meant to have. We are never going to be able to fully participate in this thing God called the kingdom. This transformative revolution in our world that sets people free. Truth sets us free. It just sucks first. Because we've got to own it. We've got to own our mess. And that's what it's safe to do here too. You receive grace when you can own your mess. Own where you're at. Own your doubts. Own your questions. So life groups, they're this place where we get together and we share. We share what we're learning. We share what we're discovering. We share our mess, our questions, our doubts, our uncertainties, our journey. And what we find there is love and truth. People who will speak truth to us and invite us into becoming our best. Invite us to more. And then here's the the hard part about it. They'll ask you next week how last week was. You say, hey, I'm working on this. And they'll get together. You'll be sitting at the table and all of a sudden they're like, well, how was it? How'd you do? I don't want to talk about it. But when you know someone's going to ask you, there's this accountability. There's this hope, this courage. It's why in Scripture, do you know, we're not actually told to confess our sins to God. We're told to confess our sins to one another. Because as long as it's just between me and God, nothing changes. There's no accountability. There's no connection. There's no, there's no real confession until we're willing to confess to another person. But then he tells us that when, tells the disciples that when they forgive, it's forgiven in heaven. So we pronounce this forgiveness to one another. We keep each other on the journey and we pick each other up when we fall and we keep going toward this becoming. And we do it with like just three simple questions. Because we realize this whole grace and truth thing, this filling with grace and truth means I'm not going to try to fix you. I'm not going to let you try to fix me. God knows mama tried. There was just no hope. We're not going to be able to fix each other. We don't try. We just point back to Jesus. We just point back to Jesus. And we ask, what is God asking you to do? What is Jesus asking you to do? Not like one day out there, you know, when you, when you retire and get out of the military, what's he asking you to do? What's he asking you to do in like 10 years? Not what's he asking you to do with your life? Not even like that. Like, what's he asking you to do this afternoon? What's he asking you to do next? Who's he asking you to talk to? Who's he asking you to apologize to? What's he asking you to make right? What little thing is he asking you to change? What habit is he asking you to start or to stop? We ask these questions. Life group is the place where we learn how to answer them. Like we learn how to look into scripture. We learn how to understand what prayer looks like. We learn how to, how together to figure that out. But then the second question is, do you have the courage to do it? Because most of the time I'm pretty confident. I have an idea of what he's asking me to do next. I just don't have the guts to do it. It's like, go talk to them. No, I'd rather not. I'll mess it up. Or go, go apologize. No, never. I don't want to do that. That sounds terrible. And we argue with him. We don't have the guts to do what he's asking us to do. And we say, trust me. I don't know. It's just easier to keep trying on my own. Let me give you a new start. I think I'll keep wallowing in this a while. 
Let me show you a better way to deal with your struggles and insecurities and fears. Nah, I like this. It makes it go away for a few minutes. Sure, I wake up the next morning and it's still there and I have a headache. Go be a part of that life group. I don't know. That's a big commitment, like six whole times all fall. I don't know. God, that sounds like a lot. I mean, I'll have to sit down across the table and eat with someone. I'll have to maybe share some stories about this. I don't know about that. We don't want to do it. Too big. And so we asked, do you have the courage to do it? Then we pushed a little further. How can I help you do what he's asking you to do? Not can I help you do what I think you ought to do. How can I help you do what he's asking you to do? And together, we figure this out and we let him shape us and fill us because the connection's not enough. We need him to fill us so that we can become all that we are created to be, so that our lives can overflow. We're not living in this constant cycle of empty and full, empty and full, empty and full. This is a place for that. It's who we are. It's what we do. We don't do a whole lot. But we really work hard to help people connect and fill. We'll hear about overflow next week. Thanks for letting me go off script. This is a place where this kind of stuff really happens. Like if you're new with us or newer, all I can say is take a chance. Stick it out just a little longer than you think you can. Take one step deeper than you think you can. Do what he's asking you to do. And I believe it will not just make a difference in your life, but it'll make an impact for the kingdom and a difference in the lives of those around you, in your family, in your home, in the generations that follow, in our community and beyond. Let's pray. Father, I, I hope that made sense. Because <laughs> I know how, how much I need you to just keep filling my heart, my life, my mind, my relationships. And I know the truth that you say you have given us all of yourself. We, you, you have given us your spirit. It just takes me time to figure out how to live in it. And so would this be a place where we give each other that time, and we give each other that room, and we give each other that help so that together our lives look like you, that our love looks like your love, that we live by hope and faith instead of fear and doubt. God, fill us, we pray, so that it just overflows. In Jesus' name, amen. It was an honor to worship with you. Hope you'll sign up for life groups on your way out. Anita's out there. and be glad to answer any questions. If I've not met you, I'd love to do that before you leave. Have a great Sunday afternoon. Enjoy a homemade cookie, and we will see you again soon. <laughs>